Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Seller Performance Solutions. I'm Chris McCabe, along with my co-host Leah McHugh. Leah, how are you? Good, thanks. How are you, Chris? Great. And I think we got a great topic for today. We've talked to a lot of brands, you know, kicking off the new year, looking at which products are attracting maybe negative attention from Amazon, or potentially they're observing some buyer complaints and they're concerned that a performance notification is in the offing. And you and I have talked a lot about maybe not embracing products as if they are something that you know you will always sell, right? You have to do a continual assessment of voice of the customer, of complaints that are coming in today, what you can do to prevent them from coming in tomorrow. Do you think that brands sort of mentally schedule like, well, we're going to sell this much in Q1, this much in Q2, this much in Q3, getting ahead of themselves before they consider, well, what if something goes wrong? What if we're not keeping an eye on our factory or our manufacturer? Yeah. I mean, I think any organized brand is probably projecting how much they're going to be selling in each quarter. Mm -hmm. But I, I think that there's maybe too much of a bias towards always being selling. There's too much always <laughs> be selling going on because, you know, if you have a problematic ASIN and it isn't always necessarily quality control, that is the problem. I mean, quality control is often <laughs> the problem, but sometimes it's just a problematic ASIN. Like people don't necessarily understand the product very well, or maybe it's a product that can have negative side effects that people buying it aren't necessarily aware of. So sometimes it's a product detail page issue and sometimes it's just a problematic product that maybe just isn't a good fit for Amazon because Amazon doesn't have a high tolerance for any order defects, as they call it. So I, I understand yeah. the wanting to continue to sell a product, but I think what a lot of sellers maybe don't understand is that you're not just risking that ASIN that keeps being taken down or keeps being complained about. You're potentially risking your entire account if you keep having issues over and over and over again with a product and you continue to try to sell it. Well, maybe it's more new products. I mean, you wouldn't sell something for two years and then suddenly have a dramatic disconnect with customers on that particular item, right? Well, Unless, if, if that happens, then yes, it is a quality control issue, most likely. Right. <laughs> well, then it's definitely quality control. Unless you've latched on to a new outfit who's helping you try to boost sales on an ASIN and they've made dramatic changes to the detail page and they, and they put in more sellable terms and took out some of the informational stuff. That's one theory I've got because sometimes we're looking at the detail page with them or they tell us that they've made those changes and customers don't understand the product as well now as they did before. So I don't think it's always a quality control problem, but yeah. Sometimes it is just a simple, like, what, factory swapping out materials for something inferior. Yeah, or just an issue with a particular run. I mean, yeah, if you do see an right. anomaly where all of a sudden an ASIN that you haven't had problems with is suddenly having tons of complaints, then, yeah, I mean, first step would be checking quality control. But I think there is also a bias towards overselling and under-delivering sometimes on the Amazon marketplace and... I, I get that it's a competitive marketplace and you're trying to stand out against the competition. But in terms of a long-term business strategy, under-delivering on a product is not, it, one, you're not going to get repeat customers, first of all. And two, you're just going to have issues and a high return rate on, that you wouldn't necessarily need right. to have if you're maybe more forthcoming with how the product actually works. And if you're clever about it, you can actually turn it into 
a, a marketing standpoint. I'm working on a product at the moment, which is a supplement product, and they actually are very explicit about the fact that it does not taste good. That is very clear <laughs> on the detail page. Yeah, it's but then they example. explain, but then they explain why and why it doesn't taste as good as the other ones because it has a higher concentration of the active ingredient. Well, let's so define what you mean by under delivering. You mean like you're not actively monitoring voice of the customer and bad product reviews or under delivering in terms of the quality of the product, like you're trying to make it more cheaply. You already assume that it's successful. You've already seen decent sales. You already assume you're on an upward trajectory in terms of growth of revenue. And then you start monkeying with success and making changes. Well, sure. Some people do that. Right. What do you mean by yeah. under-delivering in this context? I mean, context? In just avoiding saying certain things on the detail page that you think that is going to turn people off of your product, right. but is important information for them to know. So things like side effects that could happen mm -hmm. if you try that product. Or like I said, like maybe it doesn't taste good, but that's how it's supposed to be. Being as explicit about that information up front is, is important because, again, like I said, if you're reducing the number of returns, you're increasing customer satisfaction. Even just in terms of how to use the product, a lot yeah. of times that isn't really clearly stated on the detail page. Maybe you need to buy something else in order for the product to work. So if you don't state that on the detail page, customers are going to get it and they're going to expect one thing and receive another. And I, I get that when it's your own product, it's sort of hard to realize. Envision a newbie using it. Yeah. Well, right, because right. you're so familiar with it. So I mean, right. that's where customer testing and customer feedback plays a really important role, even something as simple as giving it to a friend and seeing if they can of figure course. out how to use it based on the in, on the instructions or on what's available on the detail page. I and know some people would think the usage instructions are in the packaging, in with the product, and so they don't feel the need to put as much of that on the detail page, I think, is part of the problem. Right. But again, if if those details include something that just a general customer wouldn't know when purchasing, it's definitely worthwhile putting it on there. Right. And also, sometimes it is on the detail page, but it's buried so far down that people don't see it. If it's an important mm -hmm. aspect that people keep complaining about, put it in the images, put it in the bullet points, put it high up on the detail page so people are aware of that early on rather than hiding it somewhere in the description that no one actually looks at most of the time. Right. Right. And like you said, buried on the detail page, sometimes it's just a matter of thinking in terms of, well, am I hiding something where somebody will find out later and they'll be upset and they'll be more prone to leave a negative review because if they had known XYZ in the beginning, they wouldn't have bought the product to begin with. So you would have lost that sale, but you wouldn't have accrued that negative review, you know? Right. And, and I'm one sale that, wasn't worth it. Anyway. Right. In the long yeah. run, I think you're better off losing that initial sale than having mm -hmm. an upset customer who's likelier to return it anyway. So that sale is now moot and who will probably never purchase from you again or from that brand again. Right. So what else do we want to remind brands of aside from keeping an eye on the detail page, not making certain changes that will undermine understanding and awareness of the product and how it's used? I think another, maybe this is more of a mindset shift. Yeah. rather than an operational change. But I don't think enough people are looking at product feedback as something useful. So if you have a product and people are consistently complaining about a certain thing about your product, maybe that's a good opportunity for you to either make another product or update your product with a better version that fulfills the need that the customers aren't currently getting 
with right. that product. And that's certainly something that any of your smart competition is going to be looking for. Sure. So why not do it yourself? And you're fixing two problems with one stone. It brings to mind somebody that we interacted with recently who jumped the gun in terms of, I think we're being attacked by a competitor. Oh, by the way, the reviews of this product are under 4.0. So it's like, well, you might have a few negative reviews here from a competitor. We understand that. But there's also the possibility that there's consistent complaints, which are not just from abusive competitors. And maybe there are so many reviews here that aren't from competitors that look valid and that also make valid points about the product. You don't want to just that have that knee-jerk reaction that definitely a competitor, oh, we've sustained over a period of time several bad reviews. Well, right. And so that's yeah. a matter of figuring out where you assign your resources. Are you going to assign your resources to a competitor who may or may not actually be attacking you? Or mm -hmm. do you assign your energy there to creating a better product and yep. improving it so you aren't getting those complaints consistently over time? Because ultimately... In the long run, that second option is what's going to be way more worthwhile to your business. Right. And worth noting at this point, if you're going to have a throwdown with Amazon about this is definitely a competitor, you can't just make the accusation and say, oh, I don't know where the evidence is. You're, you're Amazon. Go look in your tools. You sort it out. I know we've talked about that a lot in the podcast before. And we do consistently get these messages that lead with not a statement, well, it could be something wrong with the product or it could be a competitor. They lead with, this is definitely a competitor. If you're going to say that to Amazon, you can say it to us all you want. We're used to it. If you're going to say it to Amazon, you've got to have some basis for it, something, some patterns that you can show, some recognizable features to that uh, evident accusation, because otherwise they are just ready to sweep it to the side and be like, now nah, you got to take a look at voice of the customer you need to look at some of these return reasons right um, you need to look at yourself first which is right i feel like i've been repeating for so long. you shine the light years. right even if it doesn't make sense <laughs> i would say even if you've got a previous attack from a competitor that that is similar and maybe you start from a biased position where you you do think it's likely that it was a competitor fine shine that light on yourself first every time anyway just to make sure just to look under every rock and see if anyone's come up with a legitimate complaint because like you said it could be a bad batch it could be a single bad batch right. well right? similarly i have people complain that they were reported by a competitor for a term of service violation mm. it's like right but had they reported you and you weren't violating terms of service we wouldn't be having this conversation so the most right. important part of this is that you were violating terms of service and we need to improve that first right doesn't right. matter why it was flagged at that point it just matters that you were flagged and you were in the wrong and i feel right. like it's the same way with the abuse like you know Yes, it sucks that a competitor is attacking mm -hmm. you if you already have the problems. That is really what you need to solve first. Although, if your competitor reports you for abusing terms of service and they're abusing terms of service in easily identifiable and reportable ways, you can still report. <laughs> sure, but <laughs> you that can both report each other. But that yeah. doesn't solve your problem of you no. broke terms of service and now you're in trouble for it. Right. Right. Two wrongs don't make a right, but it's not that we're saying forget about your competitor entirely. I mean, if no, they're doing stuff saying, they shouldn't be doing. Again, look to yourself first. You need to focus on that yeah. before you can start thinking about your competitors. Right. What is Amazon looking for? Product quality, performance teams. They're looking for patterns. They're looking for clusters of data. They're looking for return reasons that all match up, say similar things. I think a lot of black hats and abusers understand the types of clusters. Amazon's looking for you. That's why they try to huddle up the negative reviews in a and bunch. 
Um, so, but regardless of whether it's not a, a competitor, if you had a bad batch, you would have a bunch of complaints that are similar in a bunch all in a row. So that's why we emphasize that. And also just, you know, new year, new you, could your quality control be improved? I think every business owner wants to think about what they could improve in the new year, whether it's manufacturing a product or how you monitor your interactions with buyers or Amazon's customers. And I, I see, I've been seeing a lot of advice lately, actually, about harvesting your competitors' reviews, looking at the negative, seeing what people are saying over and over again, and making a product that meets those needs. Why are you starting with your competitors' products to do that? Do that with yeah. your products first. Right. Look, look at your own house first before <laughs> right. you wander over to your neighbor's house to figure out what they could be tidying right. up. You want to clean saying, up your own house. saying don't do that with your competitors' products too, but like you right. should be doing that with your own products first and then move into those other areas. Yeah. So no knee-jerk assumptions. Keep an eye on quality control and don't make assumptions about whatever quality of product you got from your manufacturer last year will automatically be the same this year. And of course, when it comes to detail page, if you want to make some changes, try to boost your sales. We totally understand that. Have a list of best practices at the ready to make sure that you're not making some changes without considering how it might make the product confusing, hard to use, hard to understand. And that might be driving some negative experiences as well. Right. And so. you don't have to guess at this. And this is not a sponsored shout out. This is just something mm -hmm. that I saw that I thought was cool. Product opinion. You can have them have customers go through the detail page. You can see it in real time. You can get customer feedback from actual customers. So it isn't just a matter of you thinking what customers right. want. You can actually get that data pretty easily now. Good tip. All right. Thanks, Leah. And anyone has any questions on this, please reach out to me or to Leah. I'm sure we'll be touching on this type of topic again in the future on Solid Performance Solutions. Thanks for listening in. We'll see you next time. Thanks, Chris. Bye.